Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. It's inauguration time. History is being made as Kamala Harris is the first female VP and the first black woman and first South Asian woman to take the position. Can you hear that glass ceiling breaking? Now, the giving artist, Joy Benenson, is making gorgeous merch of Kamala, artwork, prints, and even a fabulous mug that I use, of course. Go to givingartist.org and search for Joy Benenson's art. All proceeds go to charity. Welcome back, warrior women. How are you? Oh, man. We are still parenting in quarantine. I know some of you guys are having pods and maybe your kids are even getting to go to school, but out here in California, we are getting a flat lot of nothing. Woo! Either way, we are kind of stuck inside more than we normally be and a lot of activities are canceled. And I am so looking forward to having parenting and marriage and family expert, Dr. Kim Swales, joining me today. She's a friend I trust And boy, does she have some good advice about parenting kids and teens in quarantine. But first, have you left us a positive review yet? Guys, you know a five-star review can just move my podcast up in the ranking and help me bring more Warrior Women. Please do. Okay, on to our sponsor. We are all stuck at home, but looking for ways to stay active. The Plyo Jam online membership is the thing you need to keep yourself moving. Trust me, it's not just effective, it's actually fun. Unlike some workouts that feel just like torture, Plyo Jam has you training like an athlete and dancing like a pop star with their easy to follow dance classes, strength and core classes. These classes are created for all fitness levels and dance abilities and all ages. You just have to be willing to rock a booty and shake it or do a body roll to a Beyonce song. With the best and most relatable trainers, Plyo Jam not only provides a killer workout, but a truly connected community, something you know I love. From a one-on-one chat with the founders when you first sign up, to private members-only Facebook group, to monthly power hours for education and fun, this platform is all about connection. Right now, go to www.plyojam.com ojam.com slash warrior and redeem code warrior for one month free or code warrior one for three months for just $19.99. Don't wait on this. Head to plyojam.com slash warrior to redeem your code. If you want to spend some more time with me, go to thewarriormoms.co. You can read articles on everything from marriage and parenting to recipes and gift guides. You also can sign up for my e-blasts and access the podcast there by clicking on the podcast link. Today on the show, we have Dr. Kim Swales, one of my old friends from my One Fabulous Mom blogging days. Dr. Kim earned her PhD in marriage and family communication 27 years ago. She went on to do postdoctorate training and counseling, and she has been a professor, a researcher, a speaker, an author, a blogger, and a stay-at-home mom. She is currently in private practice as a marriage, parenting, and life coach, and she hosts the weekly podcast, Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales, which you guys know I was on, and I love her podcast. I literally live for it. 
She's been married 25 years and has three children. Oh my gosh, Dr. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to kind of turn the tables and be the guest. I know. We were just talking about how we're both terrified to be guests. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's always, well, you know what? I realized you're more in control when you're the interviewer, right? And we probably, we may be type A type people. (laughs) It could be. It could be. Yes. No, I was scared to come on your podcast. I I hope that I didn't show it, but I really did love going on your podcast because we had such great conversations. And I told you, I couldn't wait to get you on here. I got sidetracked with my daughter in the hospital over Christmas. What a nightmare. But now here we are. We're going to do it. So I'm thrilled. And we got such great feedback. And, you know, I think what was lovely was we went places we really didn't plan on going in that episode. We just talked and you made me cry, which, (laughs) you know, don't do today. But I I may may do it again. (laughs) That leap of greatness, so many people, so many women reached out to me and said they felt so inspired by your message. And that's what you do here every week. I, you know, I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm not a warrior woman. You have these inspiring people. Oh, Oh. please. Oh, we're going to get into that. You are a warrior. Okay. Well, let's go. Okay. Dr. Kim, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm dying. Um, so we've known each other since our blogging days. Yeah, a long um, time. but our first time was talking on your podcast. That was our first official time talking. It's so funny. We like kind of were on social media together for years, yeah. and years and years. Um, but I want to go back to the beginning. Yes. What did you think you were gonna be when you were a little girl? What were you gonna be when you grew up? Oh, I love this question because it actually fits with kind of what I'm doing now. So I really thought I would be a broadcast journalist. I really, I started college as a journalism and mass communication major, and I loved Katie Couric. And and people used to tell me I looked like Katie Couric and that I reminded them. And I just, that was to me the best compliment. I really thought that's who I would be. And I did some child acting and singing and stuff. So I really liked speaking publicly and I really thought that's what I would do. But probably in my junior year in studying journalism and communication, I took an interpersonal communication class and I was hooked. I never knew there was this whole area of study. I mean, I I also double majored in psychology, by the way. So I took all the psychology. But when I knew that, oh my gosh, people study how families communicate and how marriage partners communicate. And I did not have good communication in my family growing up and my parents divorced and, you know, we'll get into that. But I, I thought, wow, you can study this and you can do something with this. So I had the best professor and she saw my love for this topic and she gave me the keys to her office. This was back in the days where you had to call schools to get applications and had to call grad programs. And I'm telling you that woman, Dr. Sharon Kirk was her name. I'm sure she'll never hear this, but um, she really changed the trajectory of my life. She mentored me and she told me to go to grad school. I applied to law school too um, and got in and, you know, thought about that for a while. But once I learned that you can study how to make people's lives and relationships better, I was hooked. And I knew that is what I had to do. It is my passion. So amazing. I remember the first time I took a psychology class and I was like, wait a minute, you can kind of figure these things out while people, why people act the way they do. I was so fascinated. I just couldn't even, or like I took like child development classes that were like psychology based. And I was like, Oh my God, there's stages the kids go through. I mean, it just like blew my mind that there was some kind of way this kind of goes down. So I know exactly what you mean. It's, it, it is a fascinating thing, but you kind of alluded to this. 
I know, I know that you, there's probably a million resilience stories within your life. You could tell probably a marriage one, maybe about adoption, maybe about your sons, anything. But I kind of wanted to know what your growing up story of resilience was. Um, You mentioned your parents' divorce and like how that kind of affected you. Yeah. And so I think that's why I do what I do. And all right, here, I'm getting choked up already. And we're like, oh my gosh, I told you I make everyone cry. Um, so yeah, I had truly up until sixth grade an idyllic family life, like truly what you would see in a movie. We had a beautiful home with a beautiful pool. We took fabulous vacations, went to church every Sunday, you know, it was really lovely. We had everything we wanted. It was a very, very privileged, happy, lots of family time, dinner together every night, family time on Sundays. And then my dad had an affair. He probably had more than an affair, but this one, he got caught and um, he left and my parents got a divorce. So it started when I was in sixth grade. And what was so hard, Liz, is that I wasn't imagining it. My sisters and my mom and I talk about it like we had a really nice family. And then like the rug was pulled out from under us and it was the ugliest, most bitter divorce. Like they fought over money. And they fought over custody. And I remember having to go to talk to a judge, you know, as you know, yeah. Right. It's like 13 year old about who I wanted to live with. And it was bad. Um, we got through it. I remember at that time there was not support in our community. I went to a Catholic school. I was the only kid whose parent was divorced our church, they didn't really embrace us or help us. My mom did find us some counseling, but it was terrible. Uh, but, but I looked back now and if that did not happen, I may not have found my life's calling. Like mm-hmm. I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's purpose for me is to help families and to help other families going through that. And when I moved to Houston right out of grad school, I was a professor at the University of Houston. I started a program at a Catholic church, the first of its kind in the United States at a Catholic church for families going through divorce, because I never wanted another kid or another family who, to divorce wasn't our fault. We didn't sin. We didn't do anything wrong. And I wanted kids and parents to have a place at their church that they could go work through that. And so I look back and I say, it was the best, worst thing that ever happened to us because I found my life. It also taught me so much about what I wanted in a relationship and what I wanted for my family. And, you know, so it was tough. Um, and so I say that, I mean, I don't know if that's the worst thing that I've been through. Cause like you said, I mean, that's not a good thing, but it also built, built who you are. I mean, it really informed the trajectory of your life, which is, I think what these big hard warrior, resilient things. I mean, you became a warrior at 13. I mean, if you, when, when you realize, and by the way, I have a very similar story and I've never talked about it on this podcast, mm-hmm. but my parents divorced when I was 16 and there was an affair or multiple affairs mm-hmm. and denials. And my father left us in the dust with no money. Yeah. He ruined my mother. My mother wanted to go to counseling. He would not go it was the saddest thing. My mother became so depressed and I had to run the family for like a while. And I was 16. And yeah. I just think, you know, when you become a warrior at a young age, you, you get this strength, you get this strength. It's not, you know, it's not that you don't have pain from it or you don't sometimes wallow in that stuff or feel it or, or just regret it or whatever it is. But I have a strength 
that I can spend the hospital time at Christmas with my daughter yeah. and survive yeah. it because I've already survived so things. And as women, we can do hard things. We don't want to do them, (laughs) but we can. And to know that you went through that at a young age really tells me about why you are so strong and why you have such a need to help people. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. I always feel like if I can help one family, one kid not suffer the way that I did or my sisters did. And let me just say this. It affected all three of us. I have an older sister and a younger sister. And you probably see this in your own family. Completely different. I, differently. I I married the exact opposite of my dad. One of my sisters married the same exact person as my dad. And he cheated and he left. And she was in the same boat. And we all, so like these hard things happen to everybody in life. And I'm not tooting my own horn because I was 13. I don't, it's just the way I reacted. But we then get to sort of cognitively choose what we do with that, right? You know, somebody, I don't know who said it, but life is, you know, 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. I had to pause to make sure I was going to say it the I know, right I was way. Wait, which way did that go? Yes. Yeah, right. So it's 10% what happens to us and 90%. So I could have sat there and thought, I'm not going to trust people. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to. But I, at some point, it wasn't 13, by the way. I'll tell you what I did learn at 13. My mom did not go to college. In fact, my mom did not graduate from high school. She dropped out her senior year. Her father passed away and she was going through a hard time. And one, so when my dad, like yours, left, and he was pretty well off, but he left us with no money and, you know, refused to pay for things to get back and to be resentful. Um, my mom couldn't really get a good job and it was really hard. She had been a stay at home mom. And I did at 13 cement in my head that I was going to get as much education as I could possibly get as young as I could. Like that was the one thing I remember at 13, the rest of it, wanting to help families was really when I started taking those classes in college and this light bulb went off. Um, But, you know, it's this whole road, right? Our whole life is this. Sometimes we get on this path that's really difficult. We have no idea. It doesn't make sense at the time. Mm -hmm. But then years later, we're like, oh, that's why that happened. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I remember thinking, I will never let a man treat me the way he treats her. Yeah. He used to do just these horrible things. Like he he thought it was funny to like pull down the bottom of her bathing suit, like at the beach. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I really felt like I wanted to kill him. Like I wanted to physically harm him, but he was such a big, huge, threatening guy anyway. There was no way I was going to like obviously physically do anything. But I just remember thinking I am never, and I was so humiliated for my mother because she's such a classy woman. So to see her being degraded like that, I just, and he just, she was an artist. He didn't care about her art. He used to like Mm -hmm. throw her art stuff away. He just had such little respect for her. And I thought, I'm just never going to have that. I'm never going to have a husband that doesn't, want me to succeed, enjoy what I do, think I'm good at what I'm do that I what I do. I mean, he believes my husband Brett, I will tell anybody, <laughs> sometimes believes in me more than I believe in myself. Like I'm like, I don't know if I should be doing this. He's like, um, yes. Like I mean, he is so funny that way. So, it really does inform inform a lot. But let's ch- let's switch gears because yeah, I yeah, the, yeah. the one thing I really am dying to talk to you about, you know what I'm saying, ta- you know what I'm I know, I know. You know what I'm <laughs> I got a 14 year old in the house, praise Jesus. And I, this, this turn from boy to man, which seems 
I don't know what happened overnight. It feels it literally, I look back pictures a year ago. I'm like, who's that kid? He he's mm-hmm. a full man, man voice, Harry. He's in my house, but that's my baby. That's my baby. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk to you about teens and parenting. You've got a lot yes. of great podcasts on this. I highly recommend everybody go and listen to all her podcasts, but especially the ones on teens and parenting. It has saved me. Um, I want to know, what do you think? I mean, I'm going to tell you what I think, but you're, <laughs> uh, what do you think are the biggest problems teens are facing in this quarantine time? You know, so I talk to parents more than I talk to teens. Yeah. So let me tell you what the parents are telling me. And then I'll tell you what I think is going on with the parent, with the teens. So ironically, the parents are kind of telling me the same issues that they deal with outside of COVID are happening. They're just sort of in a different setting. So I think the main job of teens is to rebel. It's to push for independence. And so teens, it's a little bit harder to rebel when you're under quarantine, when you're under house arrest. So they're finding different ways to do it, but the core of it is kind of the same. And I mean, what the biggest challenges for teens, I think the teens that I've talked to, I think it's not seeing their friends because teens are very, very social. And depending on what part of the country, I had clients in Minnesota and Illinois and New York and Texas and California. It's different everywhere. Some some teenagers are seeing their friends. Some of them are in school pods of like eight kids and they're allowed to do whatever they want together. Some are not. My daughter hasn't set foot in school all year. She's been virtual all year. She hasn't had that socialization. So I think it's different on where you live with COVID. But what we're seeing is a lot of teens are coping with this lack of socialization by staring at screens. They're staring Uh at their phone or they're staring at video games or screens. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And that's, I think, what's hard. So we're under house arrest. Uh, in California. We're not doing mm-hmm. any damn thing and we haven't gone to school and nothing's happening. We're just like over here isolated. I'm not doing a pod. I'm These poor kids get practically nothing. I do have a little group where we occasionally will get the kids together because we really are good about kind of staying away from most everyone else. So we do have a little group mm-hmm. we kind of see sometimes, but that is just nothing compared to what they're used to getting and all this stuff. But I feel bad for Landon because yeah. the way he's connecting is being on these games with these boys. Cause these boys are not, it's not like girls, girls all FaceTime, they'll whatever. Mm-hmm. Boys are like, no, 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 I'm not FaceTiming that guy or texting. Yeah, yeah. They get on, you know, Fortnite or whatever. But I've noticed Dr. Kim, that there is like, and it's such an addictive quality to these mm-hmm. games. And it, I already noticed this before. This is not new information. Everybody knows they're addictive. Let's just get over it. But how am I walking this line, Dr. Kim? Because this child needs to see his friends and be on these games so he can have social interaction. But I feel like the more he's on it, I feel this little rage coming out of him. I feel this whole, like the whole world comes out of balance for him because he's an ADHD kid. He can only Mm -hmm. take so much. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a lot over here. No, it's hard. And I think, you know, parents tell me, well, I know they're addictive, but I always say, but yeah, but do you know how addictive they are? Do you know that game companies hire the best 
neuroscientists, and they're trying to elicit a 180 over 120 or 140 blood pressure within a few minutes of playing. They're trying to elicit sweat and increase in galvanic skin responses. And if they don't get that, they go back and tweak it until they get that maximum arousing or addictive response. And I want to tell you a little bit more about the research, and then I'll give you tips. What video games do is they commandeer this part of the brain. It's called the cingulate gyrus, and it's a key brain area, and it is the part of the brain that's involved in motivation. So what do we see? Kids who become addicted to video games become less motivated in every other part of their life. And so I used to tell parents that like, it's really a problem when they can't do the other things. Like they used to love to play baseball and now they don't want to play baseball because they don't want to stop playing the game. Well, now there is no baseball. So parents don't have that parameter to judge, like, are they losing motivation? Because there's nothing else really going on. And what the game companies try to do is they try to displace all the other activities in your child's life. That's what the addictive nature does. But right now, all the other activities are kind of already displaced, right? So it it becomes where we rely on them. The other area of the brain that gaming targets is the prefrontal cortex, and that's the brain's judgment center. And so the result is that kids become fixated on their digital devices, but they have no insight regarding how bad it is because the judgment part of their brain is not working, right? (laughs) So it's like, um, you know, and, and, and let's be frank, Teenage boys have a really crappy prefrontal cortex (laughs) and judgment and decision-making anyway. It does not need any more help. You know, it's already, we already know that boys free uh, prefrontal cortex takes a really long time to develop, sometimes not till 25 years old. And so when we're, when we're already, um, you know, diminishing that and the function of that part of the brain, we're really putting our boys at a huge disadvantage for all of the things they're really capable of for good okay, decisions. So what are we going to do, Dr. Kim? You're making me so upset. Ah! I know. I know. Nobody likes to hear this. I always feel like the least popular person in the room when I give <laughs> my talk on video games, you know, and then I'll have all these. Now I have really young dads because sometimes I talk to preschool parents and they'll raise their hand and they're like, well, I played Madden 08 and and I'm not addicted. I have a good job. And yeah, Madden 08 is not the same as Minecraft. These games over the years have become much more addicted. If you played Pong on Atari or you played Mario Brothers, these games today are very, very, very different. And we know that what happens Brain scans show that video gaming triggers the release of the reward-based neurotransmitter dopamine into the brain at the exact same level as an IV shot of amphetamine. Yeah. That is what it does. And I've told Landon this too, by the way, I've mentioned this and he doesn't like when I talk like this, No, but I have seen, like, even last night I pulled him off. You know, I just said, listen, you know, I'm seeing that you're having some like rage moments where you're Mm -hmm. really like feeling unhappy. I know you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, but the more time you're on that screen, you're going to become more unhappy. Yeah. And we're just going to have these breaks. We've been instituted something called a happy hour where between five and six 30, nobody is on any phones or televisions or anything screens every single day. That's great. That's what, and see, you're, you're already, you're giving yourself the tips. I'm giving myself tips <laughs> and then we're going to stop anything on Sundays from wake up time to like noon, no phones, no nothing, because mm-hmm. we, I just need to institute these 
breaks. Like, and even last night we started watching the show Outer Banks, which is by the way, greatest show. I love that show. And Landon was so excited. He, he loved the show. We stayed up late watching it. And then in the morning he woke up and he woke he came into my room and he was smiling ear to ear. And he said, good morning, mamacita. And I thought, there he is. That's my There's son. There's your boy. Yeah. That's my yeah. son. So tell yeah. us, what can we do? We have to be brave mothers. I know we're so sick of this. We're sick of being in our houses. We're sick of everything. Everything's canceled. We want to give our kids something and we don't feel like fighting them all the time. But Dr. Kim, what can we do? What can we do? Yeah. So I do think, you know, it's a matter of, of will and of being brave enough to say, I'm going to do what's best for you, even though in the beginning it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. And there are many, many approaches. And what I usually do, and you know this, and, uh, and I can give you general tips, but I work individually with families depending on the family situation because everyone is different. Every kid is different. I will tell you for a kid who has ADD, the very best thing you can do is get him in green space. We know absolutely that being outdoors in green space. Um, and what that means is just not like super city, like a park, a forest where it's pretty green and naturey, um, has the same effect on the brain that the best ADHD d- drugs do. And so if you think about all the damage that the video game's doing, you're really going to counteract that if you can get them outside. And I think with COVID where we we maybe can't do a lot of the things that we used to do, we can all get outside, right? Yeah. So I would institute- walk. We can yeah. do that. Yes. Um, and so you want to replace- you don't want to just, especially for his age. Now for younger kids, I do sometimes we, we do like an electronic fast to sort of reset them. I think at his age and with it's the way he connects and socializes with people, you kind of have to easily, you know, like gradually ease up on it. You have to start to replace it. Just like you said, let's watch this show. A show is always healthier. People say, well, aren't you just replacing one screen for another? Well, we do know that TV is not nearly as damaging to the brain as interactive, addictive video games. So I'd always rather people watch family movies, play family games. Um, My oldest son loves this game called Settlers of Catan. And he... Oh, your kids will love this game. Oh, it's, it's a board game and it's, it's all the rage among like college kids and high school kids. But yeah, we started playing that and, um, we played a lot of that over summer quarantine, over Thanksgiving break, over Christmas break. Um, our whole family got into it and we would sit around and because a lot of times after dinner, everybody goes to their own place on their own device, right? One's watching Netflix and one's on their computer. Yes, and yes. yeah. And so this brought us together. We didn't do it every night, but even if it replaced the screens one night a week or two nights exactly. a week. exactly, It's not that it has to be an everyday thing. It's just replacing it some nights. Yeah. 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 And I love what you said. So, um, there's a book called the tech wise family. And, um, I think Andy, Crouch is the author, but I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that's his name. And he says, take one hour a day, one day a week, and one or two weeks a year where you're totally off electronics for your family. And I love that. And you instituted that in your family, the one, yeah. well, it's an hour and a half, right? Yeah. That's I'm awesome. It. I'm really pushing it. <laughs> And then, yeah, we used to do Sundays a lot in our family. And if you try to email me or reach out to me on a Sunday, you probably will not get me. A lot of Sundays, I completely turn my phone off. I um, 
typically don't post on Instagram on Sundays. Once in a while I do, but typically I don't. Um, we try to kind of stay off all of that on Sundays. And um, it just, it resets your brain and it resets your mood, you know? Right. And I think it's important to note, and I've told the kids this a thousand times, when you're on social media all the time or you're in games or whatever, there are no original ideas. Every time my kids come to me, they're like, I like this. I want this. I think this is interesting. It's a meme. It's a TikTok. There's no, they're, they're not allowed any originality and ideas. And I said, how are you going to have creative and interesting ideas if you're always drinking in? You need to be able to be putting things out. You can't just always be taking in information and taking in all that stuff because it kind of create, it kills your creative force. Like you need to be in stillness a little bit so that you can come up with your own ideas and thoughts. And that's, that's, it's not healthy to be taking in so much. That's such a good observation. And I have found that personally, I was telling my intern recently that I was really struggling to come up with content. I try to put, you know, good parenting tips, marriage tips, relationship tips on my Instagram page. And I couldn't, and it was because I was counseling full-time and listening to other people's problems and, or I was managing the podcast or the page, I had no still time, no time to just be still. And every good idea, Liz comes to me in the shower and I, it's because uh, my brain isn't looking at something else. Right. And I told my husband, I'm like, I need a whiteboard in the shower. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'll run out of the shower and try to write something down because I finally get a good idea. But you're right. If we are, and you know, it's garbage in, garbage out too. If we're filling our brains with a bunch of garbage, um, we're not going to be able to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think kids are having a lot of feelings right now about these quarantines. I mean, I feel like Landon definitely is struggling with... Zoom fatigue, you know, just like too much zooming. I, I mean, I do these podcasts. I do some meetings. If I had to be on a Zoom from eight thirty to three, I don't know how these kids are doing it. Like, honest to God, it's too much. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to help him kind of navigate his feelings about that. But I, it's like, how do we support them? Because some of this, they just have to do. Like, there's, you know, like they have to be on a screen, like yeah. five, six hours, seven hours a day, like. How do we support them when they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I cannot get on this Zoom one more time? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really hard. And you know what I'm hearing from the parents I work with, honestly, that it seems to be harder for boys than it is for girls. And I don't like to make a lot of gender stereotypes, but I'm seeing that in my practice. A lot of the moms who have daughters and my own daughter, she just does it. She hasn't complained once about it. In fact, she kind of likes online school, to be honest. That's right. I know. But um, I think it's really, it's hard for boys in particular, but I would say a couple of things. I would say, um, help them find one thing that they really love and that brings them joy. So I've worked with parents who they may have a child who's a really gifted writer. And so they're, you know, writing a book, you know, may get published. It may not get published, but like a children's book, nothing fancy. Um, they are doing online art classes or like I was saying, my daughter is 14 and she hasn't been able to go to school and she hasn't socialized. We did have a couple girls over for a bonfire, um, over Christmas and had them, you know, really like 10 feet apart, gave them all their own roasting sticks for marshmallows and, um, hot dogs. And, but outside, and these girls wore masks outside because they're like rule follower dancer girls. But, but what she has said is 
the one thing that has gotten her through this quarantine is dance. She goes to dance every single night in a mask, six feet apart, but she dances seven days a week. And that she said, if I didn't have dance, I'd be going crazy. So find that one thing. And hopefully it's not game. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, no, but it can't be that because that's right. happen anyway. So it, it, you have to kind of say, okay, not that I just even asked Landon today. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Because like, you need something. And I said, is, you know, is it tennis? Is it, and he said, yeah, I want to do tennis again. I said, okay, Good. like I'm trying to find things, you know, that he can do that, you know, and if tennis, like, apart from some people outside, I'm, I'm okay with that. Oh, one tennis day a week, is good. It doesn't need yeah. to be seven days of tennis, but like yeah. one day a week of tennis, I'm, I'm at least I know that day there, you know, he's going to be moving around seeing other people. Yeah. And she's only doing that. Cause she's a serious dancer. I don't think it has to be oh, seven yeah. days a week. Oh, I'm no, just saying totally. she was yeah. that before she really into dance before. Yeah. yeah. So just find one thing that brings them joy because yeah, you know, Kids can do hard things. You and I talked. We've done hard things as kids, right? My mom checked out too. And at 13, I had to get my own dinner and make do my own laundry. And, you know, she just wasn't there as a mom anymore. And so kids can do tough things. They'll be okay. We, we just need to find one thing that keeps them going during these hard times. I think we also need to be a really safe place where we can listen. Um, and I think have as much consistency as we can in other parts of their life. Like, you know, if school and friends and all that has kind of been turned upside down, you know, people were asking me about the Christmas traditions, you know, should we just totally do a different Christmas this year? My kids really clung to our traditions this year as much, you know, yeah, we couldn't go to mass, but we still did everything else on Christmas Eve we normally do. And yeah, we couldn't have the big family dinner, but we still ate in the dining room and we still did it as though it were big. We still had the same menu that we would have. And so clinging to some consistency to provide this secure, consistent, safe place for them. And then just really be there to listen, like really be available to listen because as the feelings bubble up, they just need a safe place to land. You know, they need a safe person to talk to. Yeah. I noticed that even when Landon had his little ragey moment, you know, once he did calm down, I was like, you know, this, what you're feeling is real. Like your anger is justified. You are locked in a house. You don't get to see your friends. Like I, I can, I don't think your anger is not justified. I just don't want to see aggression. Like I, I feel that your anger is warranted. I I want you to know that. And he, he felt validated because I was like, you don't, that, this is this is not something that we're all just sailing through. I mean, this is this is really hard for for a lot of us. That was I think that's so important, Liz. Um, my oldest was he graduated college in May, and he went to college really far away. I didn't get to visit him very often because I'm afraid of flying. Um, but we had planned a really awesome trip. Our whole family was going, my sister was going and her family. I was going to finally meet all of his friends and see where he lived and meet his professors that wrote his grad school recommendations that he had really gotten to know his professors very well. And, you know, it was canceled and, um, it was heartbreaking for me to not see my oldest son put that cap and gown on and walk across that stage. Yes. But it was even more heartbreaking for him. You know, he had finally found his people and to not be able to, there are so many traditions at his school and he's such a tradition kid. 
And I remember saying, well, Will, we're going to make a big deal of it here. We're going to decorate the house. We're going to get a cake and we're going to do all this stuff. And he said, no, please don't, mom. It's just like rubbing salt in the wound. And I wanted to. I wanted to make a big deal out of it. And everybody was saying, well, you got to make a big deal out of it at home. But I had to really just listen to what he wanted and what he felt. And um we, I did make him a little fake diploma. We did design and we gave it to him because you could watch it online yeah. and he appreciated that. And then like the next day or two, he said, you know what I would like, let's get takeout from my favorite restaurant and have a little, you know, the five of us, our immediate family celebration, but he had to get there in his own time. And I had to let, I was grieving my own loss over it, but I had to put his loss first, right. Yes. And just follow his lead and really respect his feelings. And that's what you did for your son that you have to respect all of the things they are grieving and losing and empathize with it. Yeah. How, I mean, I, I've, we've already sort of gone over the motivation thing. I mean, like, but how, how do we, I mean, they have to do schools, Dr. Kim, mm-hmm. they have to be online. So is there a way that we can motivate these kids? Um, how do we keep them in the game? You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not even in the game. Like, how do I keep, I mean, I guess the, <laughs> the fun things I'm trying to do things like so I, I've, I've learned from uh, this podcast that I love called Happier that minor holidays mm-hmm. is like something everyone needs to be doing. Celebrating minor holidays. Like, I don't care if it's Groundhog Day, you make a Groundhog Day cake, whatever. You just enjoy it. Like, we're going to celebrate the inauguration. Like, I'm just going to celebrate it over here. Like, as if it's like, yeah. as if Joe Biden's coming to my house. So we're just celebrating awesome. anything, anything we can over here. And I noticed, like, I made, like la- even last year in quarantine, I made one of those king cakes, you know, for Marty. Oh, Bro- yeah. And I hid the little almond in it. And Coco was like digging through that cake, trying to find that almond so she could get it. So like things like that, I think, lighten, like anything to lighten the mood. But like, what do, what do you think these kids need to kind of stay in the game and stay motivated school-wise? Like any, like what, mm-hmm. what do you, any, any thoughts on that? Well, a couple things, and, and and you're so wise, Liz, because you you answered really your own question is like you oh said, gosh. well, how do I motivate him to do it when I'm not even in it? I would say modeling it for them. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things my daughter has seen during this quarantine is she's seen me start a podcast and start an Instagram page, and she sees me working all day from home more than I worked before. My my business is packed um, way more than it was pre-COVID. And so she sees that. She sees me hunkered down working every day. And then my husband changed careers. He was in the oil and gas industry for 30 years. And this year he is a sixth grade math teacher at an inner city charter school. I mean, if that's Uh, not the most awesome thing, I don't know what is. Well, and can you imagine a more difficult year to suddenly at 57 years old become a sixth grade math teacher at a school where lots of the kids are homeless and they don't have money for food. And it's, it's, I mean, he is working harder than he has ever worked in his life. So our kids are seeing us really work hard and really be productive to this time. So I think, and I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but I'm saying they are going to look to you and they are going to see how you are handling this. And I'm not going to say that there weren't times in March where I was binge watching Gossip Girl and eating chips <laughs> on the couch and pants all 1, day. 1,000%. Cobra right? Kai all day. Cobra Kai all day. Yes. Because I had those days too, right? Yes, yes. We all did. But I think if we kind of start 
showing them the routine and showing them like, this isn't easy. This isn't fun, but it's what we've got to do. And we kind of set that tone. That's Mm -hmm. one way to motivate them. And then I think every child is motivated differently. I have three kids. I look at all three of them. They are totally motivated differently. One is, you know, really motivated internally. He wants to succeed because it's in him. He's, you know, self-driven. Um, another one is more motivated by rewards, you know? Yeah. I'll buy you a ski lift ticket if you <laughs> turn yeah. this in on time or, you know, um, other is reward, you know, motivated by praise, by words of affirmation and praise. And so I think you kind of have to look at your child and see what individually motivates them. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. Oh, you know what I forgot to ask you though? Okay. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me. I was just going to say also, and and we just have to be realistic in our expectations, you know, because right now is not normal times. Um, I interviewed a college admissions counselor recently, and she was saying, you know, how this year colleges, most of them aren't even looking at or requiring the SAT and the ACT. And you kind of think if that's happening, then we've got to be realistic in what we're expecting of our kids too, you Uh know? A hundred percent. And I've even like some of the grade stuff. I'm like, whatever, it, you know, you're in eighth grade. I, I'm not, yeah. I, I cannot ride this grade thing on the level that I normally would. This is, yeah. um, I forgot to ask you this because you know, my favorite podcast with you is when you were talking about the teens and you were talking about how to be more calm and be the wall. And I want you to talk about <laughs> that because I feel like, you know, and I know one of the biggest mistakes we make I'm actually forget it. I'm not even gonna say it. What do you think is the biggest mistake the parents that parents make with their teens? Because I listened to a whole podcast you gave and you gave the most brilliant answer. I told every girlfriend I forwarded your podcast to every single person I've ever known in my life. So tell me about the biggest. Oh, mistakes. thank you. One You're of the so biggest sweet. Mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I think there are a couple. If you'll allow me this space, I'll tell you a couple. Yeah. So I think the one you're referring to is that we overreact. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm a huge overreactor and I was such an overreactor. And I realized like, as I reacted to things, my boys in particular, because my daughter is so lucky, there's like nine years between my oldest and my youngest. So I learned and I made, I'm not going to say I don't make any mistakes with her, but I made most of the mistakes with them. And so she's benefiting from that. Um, And they see it too. But we need to be a place of calm in these rough seas of teenage years. And teens and preteens hate when we make a big deal out of stuff. And it can be overreacting to good news or bad news. They don't want us jumping up and down because they made the football team either. I mean, I love what you're saying about celebrate Groundhog Day and celebrate this, but they don't want all the focus on them because it feels like a lot of pressure to them if we make a big deal out of things. And similarly, another thing that we all do that feels like pressure to teens is asking a lot of questions. Teenagers hate a lot of questions, and that's what we do. It seems instinctual because when they're little and we pick them up from school, oh, how was your day? What was your favorite subject? How did your test go? Who did you eat lunch with? And little kids love that. They want to answer all the questions. They love being the center of attention. Teens really, really hate it. It feels like pressure to them. I've given the example before that, like, there's almost no right answer. They, you know, if you say, Oh, how'd your test go? And they say, Oh, I think I did really well. See, I told you you'd do well, you know, or that's that's because you studied like I told you. <laughs> and if they didn't do well, 
see, I told you you had to study more or why are we so terrible? Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, and, and every teen I have ever interviewed Liz has told me that when they get home from school and their parents ask them their questions, that's the least favorite part of their day. It feels like a gun to their head. They hate the questions. And this, how do we have like conversation then? Like, how do we find out what's going on if we don't ask a question? You have to wait for them to tell you. Oh my God. <laughs> and, is this the wall thing? Well, I, and that's even, that's Lisa Damore. She has um, a great book. Uh, she has several books on parenting teens, but she says, you know, let your kids be the wall in the swimming pool. That part of the teenagers is they have to push off the wall of safety and swim to the middle of the pool. And they have to know that when they come back and touch the wall, you're just going to be there. And that analogy works for a lot of things. It's like being that calm, consistent place. It's underreacting. It's not getting mad at them when they push off the wall because they don't want to spend Friday night with you. They want to spend it with their friends. Not getting mad at them because if you get mad at them for everything they do, for being teens, then you're going to ruin the relationship. You're not going to be that sturdy wall for them. So that's one of the other things I tell parents is, you know, when your kids get kind of moody and snarky and sass at you, um, ignore it ignore it. It's it's not about you. I know, but it's not about you. It is not about you. It is about their insecurity. Their, you know, the boy they like doesn't like them back, you know, whatever it is, the anxiety, their feeling of just being a teen. And so we make it about us and we say, you can't talk to me that way, you know, and then we get in this fight with them. And we hurt the relationship. And it's not that I say, let your child treat you terribly, because you definitely have to have some ground rules and some boundaries and limits. But, you know, I would say 90% of the moody talk or the talk back, I just ignored it and it goes away. And then it doesn't get in the way of the relationship, which is the most important thing in the teenage years. Rules are important too. You don't want to be their best friend. You have to have rules, you have to have boundaries, but you have to be that. I, I call it the soft place to land. You have to be that connector point for them when nothing else feels safe in those years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to be the consistent, calm. Like my, I always mention this, my friend, Cindy, always, I think I, we mentioned it on your podcast. She talks about the roller coaster. Don't get, don't buy a ticket to the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You stay on the ground. You let them go up and down and all around and you just stay on the ground and go, Oh, that's nice. Okay. Like you just kind of, you know, don't. Yeah. Don't do it. Um, I love that analogy. That's a good one. I think it's a good analogy. What were some of your personal parenting? I mean, I love that you say you you did it first with your boys. You were like, oh, good. I messed up on you. By the time we got to Kate, it was fine. Um, What are some of the personal parenting lessons you learned um, raising your boys or with your daughter that you could share that you think are good and important? So I think one of the things, and what I love about this one is my boys, they often tell me that they recognize this too, which is nice, is um, I connected with my kids really uniquely and really individually. And maybe all moms do this. I don't know, right? Because I only have my kids, but I don't think they all do. But I have three very different relationships with my children. We bond over different things. My oldest one and I bond over um, like television shows. We both love like New Girl and Seinfeld and Friends. We have the same sense of, well, 
<laughs> Maybe we don't have the same sense of humor. His is still 23-year-old boy humor. But um, <laughs> we find a lot of shows uh, funny. My second one loves um, like self-help, book, self-help books and marketing books. And, you know, we share books. Um, my youngest and I do too. But I found very different ways. And, and what I did was I meet, met them where they were but found a common way to connect. Our conversations are different. We have different little rituals. My oldest son and I have a special emoji that has meaning just to him and I that we send back and forth in all of our texts. It means I love you. I don't have that with my other two. I would say really work on finding a common bond and really bond uniquely with your child because that is what will make them feel really special. Today, I find so many parents who want to keep everything absolutely even and absolutely the same for all their kids. You know, I I have heard parents in my practice say, well, I have to count to make sure they each get exactly the same number of gifts for Christmas or that, you know, if I buy this one, their favorite candy, because I saw it in the store and I was thinking of them, I've got to do it for the other one too. And I never parented that way. I told my kids, I love you all equally, but uniquely. I'm going to love you for you. And my kids have never compared who gets more presents for Christmas. They've never, you know, they just didn't do that because I didn't love them that way. I never tried to make it all even or all the same because you're kind of cheating them and yourself out of the uniqueness of who they are and what they need from you and what they give you. My kids give me different things too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Actually. I like the not having the pressure of that. That's actually nice. Well, tell me what's next for you. Like what I know you, you've got your podcast, which I'm, I told you I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with. I'm a little behind on my episodes. I got to catch up this weekend. Oh, thank um, but, you. But I love, I'm such a fan of yours. Oh my gosh. Look at us. We're in a mutual podcast society, admiration society. Yes. <laughs> well, what's next for you? What's, what's like the next chapter look like for you? So it's funny you use the word chapter because I am writing a parenting book and I know there are so many parenting books out there, but you know, when my sons actually, both of them have come to me and said, mom, you need to write a book on parenting. So I know what to do when I'm a dad or when I'm a parent. That's such a validation of you. I know. I know when your kids at 20 and 23 say that, like, and I've always wanted to, and I was thinking about this. I don't have a problem with confidence. I'm a very confident person. So I don't have the fear that like, I can't write a book. I always had more of a fear of like, will anybody publish it? Will anybody read it? Well, I do all that work and it just sit, but I am writing a book. Um, I'm trying to grow my podcast and I love helping families in my private practice. What I'm really working on, Liz, I love you posted about our word and um, I have to really work on balance. Mm. Yeah. I love your word. Yeah. You like my luxury Um, luxury in the face of all. I do. I'm like luxury. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, that's brave girl. (laughs) It's awesome. I want to be yes. luxury in my life. I'm just like, I'm just in that space. I'm in that space. I'm going to take that all the way. But I like balance. I like balance. I, I love it. Well, you know, it's what's hard. A lot of women I know, the balance is like the dirtiest word ever. Like, because there's just no real balance. Like, it, it's, it's if you can take it in a more, as I say, focused way, a flowing and focused mm. way, focused, yeah. where you can say, oh, 
balance for me means just kind of checking in with myself and seeing if I'm kind of tilting Mm -hmm. too far one, but women become obsessed with this balance thing. And they think, oh my gosh, I have to have my career going well. My kids have to be going well, my marriage. But guess what? The days when I'm great as a, as a businesswoman are not my best parenting days. And my great parenting usually means I'm not working that much. I mean, we, it can't always be like the, like the kids, right? It can't always be. It can't be even Steven, right? It's not a, it's not like that. It's, I think you have to kind of take it from a more of a flow state, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's just that in the last eight months, I've just worked so much and I love it. It's fun, but in, um, you know, the beginning of quarantine, I was started walking five miles a day and I was meditating and I was getting out in the sun. And then my practice just got so packed. And I started this podcast that there were days where I, I didn't walk out from my front door and I just worked from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. And so I don't mean that it has to be even, but I, I definitely need to figure out a way to balance more. And I share that because I bet there are so many other women the same way. You oh, know, gosh, that are yeah. just, I think that's the constant struggle. I think as long as you don't yeah. torture yourself with the idea of balance, it's the greatest thing in the world. You know what I mean? I do, I agree with you. I think a lot of women yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm either working too much or I'm, you know, whatever. Or not, or not at all. And for me, because I talk to people as my job all day, what I let slip this year was talking to my friends. Because oh. when you talk to clients for eight hours a day, the very last thing you want to do is call somebody else. I just want to like crawl in my bed and be alone. But I really, I really haven't done the best job of maintaining my friendships. Yeah. Um, it's not that we're we've fallen out, but I need to get back talking less to clients and a little more to friends. And I kind of agree with you because we've talked about this before, but that connection and talking yeah. to your friends is sometimes the very thing we don't know that we need. Yeah. You know, like, and then we talk to them and we are like, oh my God, why am I going to be calling her? I'm not so nice. I just had such a great conversation. You know, you forget. Yeah. yeah. You're, like you're saying, you're tired and you just whatever. Um, all right. It's on to the speed round. Okay. I'm ready. Ready to party in the speed round here. <laughs> I'm not a partier, but I'll do my best. <laughs> oh, you're party with me. I've already made you cry. I've made you cry twice now. I've, I've got a whole thing going with you. Um, okay. What is your cocktail of choice? All right. So I'm not a big drinker. My kids call me one Marg mom. because <laughs> <laughs> Give me one margarita and I'm slurring my words and saying all sorts of things. Um, and I love good champagne. So I'll always have a glass of good champagne yes. or a good frozen margarita with salt. Oh, I love a good glass of champagne too. I've that's coming. That's coming. Reason I'm like, oh, don't forget about champagne. Champagne yeah. is really good. Is that's your luxury. But I have like, like six drinks a year. Like I'm just not a big drinker. I, I know. Mean, I know. I think I have six drinks a week, but let's not talk about. <laughs> it. Okay. Um, what is a mantra or quote that you live by? Okay. So, so I, I thought about both mantra is, um, someone shared with me, you have an audience of one and that's God. And that, I know, isn't that so good? It was freeing for me because it helps you to not care what other people think. If I'm doing right by God, I'm good. Right. So I always love that. Isn't that good? So when I start to wonder about what other people thinking, I say, I've got an audience of one. And then the other quote that I love is your focus equals your feelings. And it's a Tony Robbins quote. And I'm not like a big Tony Robbins fan. I don't know. I don't really know Tony Robbins or much about him, but it's so true. And much of the time you get to drive the bus to your feelings. What you focus on is totally going to impact your feelings. Yep. And, and you get to pick what you focus on. 
I mean, maybe not if you have clinical depression or anxiety, but most of the time you get to pick what you focus on. And so audience of one, who's God, and your focus is your feelings. My God, I love both of those. What is a simple thing you do for yourself, like a self-care tip that we can do? Um, I'm so boring. Pray. I, 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 having coffee in the morning with my devotionals, my devotionals really saved me this year. I'm praying, reading, and and my favorite thing to do um, is spend time alone because I never have time alone. I mean, who has time alone, Dr. Kim? I don't even know how you're doing that. Yeah. I lock myself in my room or I like, I, one day this Christmas sent the whole family fishing. They all went fishing and it was like the best five hours. I just, I, and I know that sounds mean, but oh, I, doesn't. You sound smart. <laughs> I desperately need time alone. Yeah. I think we all do. I think we all are missing that. That's something I, I, I can't say enough about that. Um, what makes you feel unstoppable? I think encouragement from family, friends, or clients. Um, You know, I had a friend reach out to me today. It was her son's 18th birthday. And she said, thank you for some parenting advice you gave me when he was 13. Because on his 18th birthday today, I see how that changed my relationship with him. Or when my son said that about writing a book. Like, God will use other people to sometimes tell me, you are doing exactly what I want you to do. And that's really the only time I feel unstoppable, I'd say. But that when I get those affirmations that like, okay, you're doing what you're here to do. Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. Uh, I think that makes me feel unstoppable too. Um, who do you most admire? This is hard because I don't really admire like celebrity type people, but um, what I do admire are helpers and kind people. Like I read a story this week about high school kids who started an organization to make care packages for nursing home residents. Um, I also read this week about a group of women who anonymously help the hungry in their community. They would just drop off food and always a pound cake. They always left a pound cake. Oh, wait, um, I, yes, did I you see that? Yes, yes. Yeah. I thought it was so cute. It was like their signature thing. Yes. And they would help people. And, um, you know, there's a group of dancers who donate their time for a dance program for different, differently abled people, like people who are in wheelchairs or have braces on their legs and can't take traditional. So anybody who looks in their community, one of my other favorite quotes is um, something about your place is where um, your passion meets the world's deepest hunger. And those are the people I admire, the people who use their passion to help the world's deepest hunger. So not celebrities or anyone like that, but I will tell you, if I could meet any celebrity in the world, I'll tell you who I'd want to meet. And it's so shallow, but it's Jerry Seinfeld. Well, of course, because that's the show you're watching with your son all the time. Well, no, I mean, I've just always loved the way his brain works. I watch comedians in cars getting coffee. I watch anything and read anything because I just feel like my brain works like his. Like I'm not funny like him. It's smart humor. It's smart humor. Oh, I just love him. And I just, so I would, I think he'd be like the most fun person to hang out with or have dinner with, but I wouldn't say like, I admire him. I just, I would want to be around him, but I admire helpers. I think I have to introduce Landon's big in comedians. Like he's got, he likes Jim Gaffigan. Oh yeah. Who is hilarious. And we love uh, Mulvaney, John Mulvaney. I live for John Mulvaney. If you have not I don't know. Before, my God. <laughs> like a young Seinfeld 
me. Okay. I don't know what, but he's hilarious. He's so funny. He's so, so funny. So John Mulvaney. I'm going to look him up. Okay. He's got a Netflix thing. So oh, I'll be watching. Yeah. I love comedy. But I, I gotta, love I comedy. I got to bring that up to Landon um, to kind of get into some Jerry Seinfeld. Cause I don't know if he's really like, you know, he knows of Seinfeld, but I think he really like his style, like the way he presents it. Like everything is very smart. Like the way he, thinks. you know, he, he is an astute observer of the human yes. condition. Yeah. And I, love that. To me, that is like the most attractive quality. Oh, I love it so much too. Okay. Last one. What's exciting you the most right now? (laughs) I truly do feel like the most boring person in the world. Um, (laughs) my work, it just feels so good at this particular time in history to be helping people through these really hard times. You know, I feel honored that people invite me into this really, really challenging time, whether it's through my podcast or, you know, I try to post videos and tips for people that don't have it. You know, I repost them all the time. I know. And, you know, I'm trying to do that for people who don't have access. So many people say, you know, I'm on a waiting list for a therapist or, you know, I can't afford it or my insurance doesn't cover it. And not that I'm doing therapy by Instagram because I'm not, but I'll post little videos if you need help, if you yell too much at your kids or so like, I know that sounds boring, but just excites me to be able to help people in the very most important part of their life, their relationships. Um, So that's exciting to me. I don't think it's boring at all. And I'm honored that you came on this podcast because I think you have such wisdom and I am dying over the fact that your son's are not only, it's not just me saying, oh yes, I'm going to buy your parenting book. I need it. But your own <laughs> sons are saying, you have won the game, Kim. Like you, if there's nothing else good that happens to you, you've had everything good happen to you. So you just need to just literally be thrilled that your own sons are validating your parenting at 20 something years old and saying, we want to buy your parenting book. I truly do feel blessed. I have, I, I am very lucky. I have very good kids and they will say even the things that were mean, like, you know, you never let us get fancy Nikes until our foot stopped growing. Like at the time they hated us for that. They thank us for that now because it taught them some fiscal responsibility, you know? So I, I admire you so much. You'll get there. You'll get there. They come back. These kids come back to you in their twenties. I'm telling you they do. I can't wait for that time. Well, no, mine's not. Mine's not trying to leave me yet. Are you kidding me? We're trapped in the house and I'm watching. Yeah. I told you I'm watching the Outer Banks. That's all I need with Landon right now. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much, Dr. Kim, for coming to the show today. I loved having you on. Thank you, Liz. You inspire me so much. Like you really do. Like your energy and your enthusiasm and the people that you talk to, it's really inspiring. Well, I'm going to have everybody following you. You guys got to, I'm going to put all her podcasts, everything in the show notes so you can, you can find her, but you got to follow her on Instagram. Tell us your Instagram again. At Dr. Kim Swales. Dr. Kim Swales. And what's the name of your podcast? Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Okay. So you guys got to, you got to get on that because her parenting tips are amazing. I repost them all the time. You guys have seen them. But anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a positive review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. Remember, every woman has a story. You just have to ask her. Bye. Bye.